Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, there we go. As Stacy said, Adam is in South Asia and he sent an email. Um, wanted to read that to y'all so you can hear kind of what's going on with them. Then many of y'all have been praying for them. Uh, this was sent yesterday. He said, good morning. We've arrived in South Asia yesterday and had the chance to walk down to the river on our first day and experience the lostness of this city. So many millions have no idea that the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is available. They live in a life filled with false gods and little hope. I'm again reminded of how much work we still have left to do. Our team is in good spirits and ready for the week. We'll be training church planners for the coming days. Please pray that through our teaching, people will come to know Christ. Thank you for all your prayers. They have been very real to us. I also text with him this morning. It is Sunday night there. And so they had the opportunity today to actually go to church with believers in a village that we trained um, nine months ago. And now they've gone and started churches in a village. They got to go and worship in that village with those believers this morning. So they're going to bed tonight and they're getting up tomorrow morning to begin their training of all the believers in three different villages. So please continue to be in prayer for them uh, in the coming days. Um, lots of announcements. We normally don't have to do this, but I've just got a whole bunch of things I want to share with you before we get started this morning. And the first one is, is tonight is our evening of prayer. And so we invite everyone who has time or is willing to come and gather in this room from 6 o'clock until 8 o'clock. There's no agenda, there's no program, the lights will be on and the altar will be open. And we invite us to come and pray. Tonight's emphasis will be on marriages. You can pray for your own marriage, you can pray for marriages in the church, you can pray about anything you want to do. But tonight the church will be open and we invite you to be back here at 6 o'clock. Speaking of marriages, uh, our marriage retreat is the weekend after Valentine's Day. Right now there are 45 couples from Rosemont that are going away for a marriage retreat That same weekend, there's a simulcast opportunity with Matt and Lauren Chandler. I don't know if you've heard of them or listened to them, but they are remarkable. And we want to offer that to the rest of the church. So if you're not going to the retreat in Rome, Georgia, we're going to have a simulcast. And we're going to do this in homes. And so what we're looking for is people who would host it in their home. And then people who want to be, a, be part of this. It's going to be free. We're going to pay to simulcast it into these, these homes. So if you would like to host that, let me know. And if you would like to gather and be part of one and want to know who's going to have it in their home, let me know and we'll work that out. Um, spring break, Viola. This year, during spring break, we've got several mission trips that are going out to three different countries. But there's also a mission opportunity for everybody that's going to be in LaGrange. We're going to do three days at Camp Viola. And it's going to be reaching out to the kids that we have been ministering to in Calumet Park. Today, there's an interest meeting for that in the Fellowship Hall at noon. So if you're remotely interested in helping any of those three days, if you'll go to the Fellowship Hall at noon today, you can get more information about how to be involved in that. All of our spring break teams have formed and are closed at this point, and all their pictures are out on the mission wall. I invite you to look at that on your way out. We have 60 people going to three different countries during spring break. We all leave in about 52 to 54 days. 
which means if you write one card a day, you're still going to be short. So it's time to start right now writing your encouragement cards. They mean so much to those teams, and I invite you to do that. Now, now that the spring break teams are finalized, we are now ready to promote the rest of our mission opportunities. So I just want to share real quickly with you, you've heard about these trips, but now is the time to pray and make a deposit so that we know how many people are going to go where. The Carpenters for Christ mission trip will be in late May, early June, May 27th to June 3rd. This is men that go and build a church in one week. Uh, if you don't have skills, they will use you. But we're going to go build a church so that that church can reach that community. And so that's in late May. South Asia, where our pastor is right now, we have a trip early June. We have another trip in November as well. The November trip is going to include ladies, which we normally have not done. But they've asked for a ladies team to come. So we're going to send two teams at one time. Ladies and men will travel together. The ladies will go do very specific ministry. And the men will do what Adam and the guys are doing this week. New York City. In late June into early July, we're working with a church planner there named Nathan Tubbs, a good friend of mine. We're going to be helping his church do outreach and reach people for Christ in New York. The Honduras Youth Extreme Team has adults on it as well as July 10 through 17. It's not too late to be part of that team. Alaska, we're going back to work with Mission Match again uh, with Scott Kirby, July 9 through 17. And finally, Romania. And that will be end of July into August. So all of these are opportunities for you. We invite you to pray about that. We want as many people to be involved as possible. God has given us forgiveness and he's given us the message to go and tell others how they can be forgiven as well. So if you're interested in being part of any of those, you just see me, let somebody on the church staff know and we'll let you know how to, how to get involved with that. Let's pray and we'll begin our message this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we... We pause and give you glory. We thank you that we can gather in this room and sing your praises at the top of our lungs without any fear of being arrested, without any fear of being persecuted. And God, we give you glory today that you sent your son and that you provided forgiveness for our sins and that we can stand secure in who we are in you. And now as we look to your word in Genesis, we ask that by your spirit you would speak to our hearts. And God, that you would make use of this time this morning and receive glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. We're going to pick up kind of where Adam left off. And I tell you, you know, it's been exciting to sit and, and let him preach through this passage of Scripture. And then yet when I was asked to step in, I kind of had to review a little bit as well. So just to kind of catch us up, if you're new or visiting this morning, we've been walking through Genesis for quite some time. Just a little review to get us on the same page before I begin in, verse, in chapter 29. Isaac was married to Rebecca, but Rebecca was barren, and Isaac prayed that she would conceive. And they had twins, Jacob and Esau. Now we're going to spend most of our time today talking about Jacob. Now Esau sold his birthright over, over a, a bowl of stew. Yet God had promised to Isaac that he was going to bless him, that he was going to bless his family, that he was going to multiply their offspring as many as the stars in the heaven. Now Jacob had tricked Isaac into giving him the blessing and we, we remember the story of how that all worked out. But now Isaac has sent Jacob away and told him to go and find a wife. So Jacob did that. 
Jacob went to a land far away, found a beautiful woman at a well, and decided that he would ask her to marry him. And her name was Rachel. We see the the story that Adam had last week. He was talking through how Jacob went to his uncle Laban and asked to marry Rachel. And his response was that if he would work for seven years, he could marry his daughter. And so Jacob worked for seven years in order to have her hand in marriage. At the end of that seven years, he made this statement. It seemed like only a few days. Now, I remember what it was like to fall in love, to finally see that one that I wanted to marry. She's sitting right back there somewhere. And there was that moment where I, too, saw a beautiful woman. And I said, I need to talk to her daddy about something. And so I went to his office. He was a very intimidating man. He was my pastor. He was my boss. I worked at his church. He was my professor in seminary. And I said, I want to marry your daughter. And he said, I'm going to go away and pray about this. We'll meet together next week. So for seven days, I was a nervous wreck. We met. We talked for several hours. He asked lots of questions. And he said, I'm going to go away and pray about this. We'll meet again next week. So for another week, I wait in fear and trembling. What if he doesn't agree that this is the woman for me? At that point, we meet again, and he says, you know what? Her mom wants to meet with you. Maybe you should go meet with her. And then the fear got deeper. I went and met with her mom, and she said, we're going to go away and pray together, and we'll get back to you next week. At this point, I'm wondering if I've missed the Lord's plan. I'm scared to death. But there came the point that he said, you have not only my permission, but my blessing to marry my daughter. And For 15 years, he stood behind that. I've had his complete blessing to marry his daughter. So we see Jacob has worked for seven years and now is told, you can marry my daughter. There's the wedding feast, the great anticipation. He goes to the wedding feast. That evening, Laban brought to him not Rachel, but Leah. Jacob was deceived by his father-in-law and he wakes up the next morning and says what have you done why is Leah here what about Rachel Rachel was the one I loved I didn't want to marry Leah what am I going to do and Jacob said well just for seven more years of service you can now marry Rachel and he did work for seven more years a total of 14 years of service to Laban in order for the opportunity to marry Rachel Now, thinking back through all of Genesis and all of the promises that have led up to this place, we remember that God told Abraham and he promised him that he would make him a great nation, that he would count the stars and that would be like his offspring, that he would greatly increase his numbers. But Abraham and Sarah, for the longest time, did not have children. And then there was Isaac and then there was Isaac and Rebecca, but there, there still wasn't this multitude coming. Eventually there was Jacob and Esau, but his, his numbers weren't increasing exponentially. Things weren't moving as he had expected. It's been compared like this. There's a glacier in northern Switzerland that at the bottom of the glacier, it begins to melt and it, it forms a trickle that, that eventually makes a stream that eventually feeds into Lake Geneva. But out of Lake Geneva flows the mighty Rhone River and all of that water cumulatively has come from that glacier. And now here in Genesis 29, we're about to see the promises of God that were made to Abraham begin to flow through the life of 
of Jacob. It's about to all start happening. So pick up with me in Genesis 29, beginning in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for he said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore his name will be called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I'll praise the Lord. Therefore she called him Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So just to get this straight, Jacob loved Rachel. Jacob was tricked into marrying Leah. And he waited seven more years in order to marry Rachel. So now Jacob has two wives. I don't want to make light of this, but I'm married to an amazing young lady. But one wife is enough. And we're about to see the turmoil that happens in Jacob's life because he now has two wives. And add fuel to that fire in the fact that one of them is barren and cannot give him children. And that's the way in his day that he would increase his wealth. That's the way that his tribe would increase. That was the future was to have many kids. And that was his goal. And that in fact was what the Lord had promised was going to happen. But now with that in mind... She can't have children. So we see that Jacob had four children with Leah, his other wife. Now this made for a very frustrating situation for both of these women. You see, Leah was the wife that Jacob didn't want. Leah was, in in spite of the fact she was able to conceive and bear him sons, she didn't have his affection. She didn't have his love. She was lonely. Rachel, on the other hand, had his love, had his affection, had his attention, but she couldn't produce him children. And, and so there was this great jealousy against her own sister because her sister was fruitful. You see, you can't imagine the, the, the chaos of this family situation, the bitterness that was going on here, the jealousy that was created day after day as they lived in this life. The, it's just a recipe for turmoil and unhappiness and despair and obviously much tension. So one thing that we can glean from this passage is our proper response in hard circumstances is to call on the Lord. Our proper response when we find ourselves in hard circumstances is to call on the Lord. We see in Leah's life, she had a hard situation. She was married to a man that loved another woman and only came to her when he wanted children. And we can't feel too sorry for her. She was part to blame for how it all came to pass. But her situation was difficult. And she desired that Jacob would love her. That she would have his affections and that their family would be together. You see, she desired that things would be the way she always dreamed they would. You and I are the same way. 
We couldn't wait in elementary school to make it to middle school. We couldn't wait till middle school to make it to high school. We couldn't wait in, coll- for, in high school till we were in college. In college, we spent our time figuring out who it was going to be our spouse. We couldn't imagine what it was going to be like to get our first job and actually get a paycheck. We couldn't wait to find out what married life was going to be like. And, and now here we are looking forward to retirement, right? But the, the plans that we thought were going to play out a very certain way normally don't work out like that. The, the trials of high school are real. The stress in college is insane. And then you get that perfect job. I'll never forget my first job. I went to my boss uh, the first holiday and I said, so how long is Christmas break? <laughs> and he started laughing and he's like, we are closed Christmas day. <laughs> you'll work Christmas Eve and you'll be here the next day. And I was dumbfounded. It didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to be. We talk to people about their marriages after newlyweds have been married for a little while. You ask them how things are and they say pretty consistently, I never realized how selfish my spouse was and I never realized how selfish I was. And so it didn't turn out the way that we thought. And Leah in this situation is living out a life that didn't isn't turning out the way that she thought. She's disappointed here and and yet she's had these children. And in the midst of her disappointment, in the midst of her circumstances, we see as she names her children that it has driven her to the Lord. It's driven her to call out to him and to ask for his help. Look with me in verse 32. And Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction and now my husband will love me. The Lord has seen how my husband treats me. He knows my situation and he's given me a son. And she named him Reuben, which literally means, see, a, a son. As if, as if she could offer that to the Lord in that moment and, and say, Jacob, look, I, I gave you the son that you wanted. Maybe this will make things right. We see in the next verse, in verse 33, she named him Simeon, which means hearing She conceived again and bore a son because the Lord has heard that I am hated and he's given me a son and I will name him Simeon. The Lord, Leah was pouring out her heart to the Lord and and begging him to, to work on her behalf. It reminds me of the promise that we have in scripture that the Lord always hears the cries of a broken and contrite spirit. And you and I, no matter what our circumstances, no matter how difficult things are around us, can, can be like Leah and in the midst of it, call out to him because he does know what's happening and he is aware of what's going on. We see again in verse 34, she names the, the next child Levi, which means attached. Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. She was so hopeful that now that she was bearing these children that that her husband would be attached to her and they would have this remarkable relationship that they would become the family she so desired. Then in verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son. This time, I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called him Judah and she ceased bearing. The meaning of Judah is in fact praise. And so here Leah is praising in the midst of her continued circumstances and trusting the Lord despite what was going on with her. Also to be noted, as she named these four children, she used not the normal word for the Lord, but the covenant name of Jehovah. We see here Leah in the midst of everything that was happening was still trusting the Lord and calling out in his covenant language, claiming that he loves his people. 
Now, many of us have come into this room this morning with our own set of problems. All of us have things that are going on in our life and circumstances that that seem out of control swirling around us. Some of our circumstances result from poor decisions on our part. Some of our circumstances that we're dealing with are, are, are because of circumstances outside of our control or on somebody else's part. But the reality is, is that all of our circumstances are here because of a result that we live in a broken world. That we live in a sinful world and there are going to be situations that are outside of our control. The answer for our circumstances and more importantly how we respond in the midst of what we're dealing with comes by how we respond and who we look to. I'm reminded of Colossians chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, listen to this, not on the things of earth. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our proper response in hard circumstances is to call on the Lord. And and when we look to Him, when we look beyond our circumstances and we begin to look to Him for the answers, it's only then that we can move past our current feelings and ask the tough and proper question, Lord, what would you have for me today? What would you have for me through this situation? What are you trying to teach me? And how might I glorify you in the midst of where you have placed me? Now let's continue. Look with me in Genesis chapter 30 as we continue what can best be described as birth wars between these women. Leah has borne four children for Jacob. Rachel has been barren and had none. So let's pick up with verse 1. When Rachel saw that she had borne Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld withheld from you the fruit of your womb? Then she said, Here is my servant, Bella. Go into her that that she may give you birth on my behalf, that even in my, though I don't have children, you might have children through her. Now let's pause for a moment. Jacob has two wives already. He has tension and chaos in his life. And one of the wives comes to him and says, why don't we bring someone else into this mix to make things more crazy? You want to say, Jacob, wake up. Don't do it. Don't fall for it. Don't you remember what happened with Hagar? I mean, that wasn't very far up your family tree. Don't you remember the last time somebody couldn't conceive and convince the husband to do this? Don't do it. Verse 4, so she gave him her servant Billa and his wife as his wife. And Jacob went into her and Billa conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel says, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Billa conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed And she called his name Naphtali. Rachel finally was able to give Jacob two sons. Albeit through her servant, she was able to say, I've given him sons. And she named him based on her circumstances. Now remember, Leah used names calling out to the Lord. But she used names to prove that that she had wrestled with her sister and she had prevailed. that That the Lord had vindicated her and everything was better for her. 
She was hoping that now she would be the wife that he, that, he, that he loved and that they would have a family together. So the struggle continues. The birth wars continue. Look with me in verse 9. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpha and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpha bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So we're going to call his name Asher. So we see Leah says, well, if Rachel's going to have her servant give more sons, and two can play at this game, I have a servant, so I'm going to give Jacob my servant, and I'll have more sons. And it was like they were trying to one-up each other. Not three women at this point, but four women trying to produce children for Jacob trying to vie against each other. Now, the birth war continues. Look with me in verse 14. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Give me some of your mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Then Jacob came from the field in the evening, and Leah went out and met him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So she lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. And she called his name Ishkar. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a great endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So now we called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Diam. Now, these two women have resorted to fighting back and forth over plants, which were called mandrakes, which were rumored to have fertility qualities. So in the midst of all of this, the kid comes home with a plant, and now they're going to fight over that in order to have more children. And it's just the ongoing commentary of just how focused they were in this battle against each other over who was going to produce the most children for Jacob. Then God remembered Rachel, verse 22, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called him Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Whew. I'm glad that's over. You know, when Adam came to me and said he was going on this mission trip and he wanted me to preach today, I was like, awesome, I'll look for a passage. He said, why don't you just keep going in Genesis? I said, okay, well, what passage are you going to be in? And I flipped over there after he left my office and I thought he had to be kidding. You're going to go away on a mission trip. I'm the missions pastor. You're going to go on the missions trip and you're going to leave me with one man, four women, 12 kids and all of this. And he just smiled and said, I'm sure you'll do great. <laughs> well, thank you, Pastor. So what are we going to do? All week long, I've sat and studied this passage and I've looked over and over again because God's word is important. All of God's word is important. And I've asked myself, what do I do with this? Why are we studying these 12 kids? 
What happens? Now, Benjamin's still to come, by the way. That's in Genesis 35. We're going to let the pastor deal with Benjamin. But I've been asking, why is it so important for these 12 births? And we've seen our proper response in hard circumstances is to call on the Lord. I believe also the Lord's plan will prevail no matter what. One of the things that that I got from this, the more I read it, was that God's plan to redeem, God's plan to multiply His people, God's plan to make great nations is going to prepare, is going to prevail no matter what. In the midst of all of the chaos of of this wife fighting with this wife and this servant and this child and and all of the things that we we just walked through, God's plan is going to prevail. You see, God promised Abraham that his descendants would be numerous and, he, and his descendants would be called many nations. He promised Abraham that they would prevail on the gates of their enemies. God also said that his descendants would be identified through history through Abraham's son Isaac. And that is happening. The blessings that were given to Abraham and Isaacs were called birthrights and they were passed down through generations. The birthright blessings given to Abraham were passed on to Isaac when he married Rebekah. The blessing of numerous descendants that would possess the gates of his enemies is a combination of God's blessing promised to Abraham and he was faithful to through Isaac. We've seen all of these things coming to pass as we've walked through Genesis. Isaac passed his birthright on to his son Jacob even though his son his oldest son Esau normally would have received them. We know how that played itself out. One of the blessings that Jacob received from Isaac was that other nations would bow down to his nation and that he would be in charge. Clearly, for this prophecy was to be fulfilled, Jacob's descendants would have to become great nations. This was all supposed to happen. If we, if we read the entire... Uh, analogy throughout Genesis, all of this had to take place in order that God reiterated to Abraham in chapter 28 that Abraham's blessings were going to come to Jacob, saying that Jacob's descendants would be numerous as the dust on the earth and eventually spread to all four corners of the earth to the promised land. And Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. And had 12 sons, and those 12 sons were the 12 sons of Israel. Now, I know that was a huge mouthful, but it all culminates in the fact that God's plan was to have the 12 tribes of Israel. And he did that through Jacob's 12 sons. And all of this happened in spite of all of the chaos that had to occur in order for this to come about. Despite the polygamy, despite the hatred, despite the jealousy, despite the trickery, despite all of the things that were going on, the Lord put the 12 tribes in place and his plan prevailed. And for you and me, what that means is no matter what circumstances are swirling about in our life, no matter what consequences of sin that we're trying to figure out, no matter what we think is impossible, the reality is, is God has a plan and it's going to prevail and we can take rest in that. We've got to come to the place to where we're willing to lay down our responsibility to try to fix this and say, God, what do you have in the midst of this? How can I respond in order to give you glory? Now, one last thing that I want to bring up as we begin to close this morning is... Not only do we need to respond and call out to the Lord in hard circumstances, 
And not only can we trust that God's plans are going to prevail, but I would contend based on this fact, this passage of Scripture and in my own personal life is that the Lord redeems. God is a redeeming God. If you look from Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, every bit of it points to the fact that no matter what's going on, He is going to redeem it. We, we see the sinfulness of man over and over and over. We see people who have made horrible mistakes over and over and over in Scripture. And every time it points to the fact that one day the Savior will come and He will pay the price of our sins and He will forgive us of all of our wrongdoing and He will draw us to Himself. And then on to Revelation that one day we will all spend eternity with Him and He will capture His bride and take us to be with Him forever. He will redeem And as that plays itself out for you and me, it's a very personal situation. And if I could, for just a few minutes, I want to share how God has redeemed some things in my life. Because I believe it pertains not only to this passage of Scripture, but it gives us great hope. I know it does for me. Many of you have heard my testimony. If you have, I apologize this morning. But I want to walk through part of my testimony. I grew up in a church and I grew up sitting with all the youth and listening, kind of listening and kind of passing notes during church. I never really understood that I, I, I could study this word and it would affect me and it would grow me. And so I went off to college unprepared for the, for the opportunities to fall away. And when I went to college, I didn't get involved in a church home. And so I fell away from the Lord. I began to slowly drift from the Lord and sin began to entangle my life. And I began to make decisions that I never thought that I would. I began to make compromises in my life that I never thought that I was going to do. I drifted from the Lord because I wasn't involved in the body of Christ and I wasn't hearing the word of God and I didn't have brothers and sisters linking arms with me. And that led me to a place to this day that haunts me and that I'm embarrassed about. This week on my Facebook feed, a picture popped up on there, and I think we have it here for y'all to see. I hope we do. And it was a picture of a building in Auburn that's being destroyed. And when I saw this picture, it evoked a lot of emotions for me. Some of y'all might know or might not know. This is called the War Eagle Supper Club. And this was a place that people didn't go to eat. This was a bar in Auburn. And this is where I found myself at the end of that road of debauchery. Literally, when I came to the end of myself, I was hanging out here looking for satisfaction. I was hanging out here looking to escape my life. And I bring this up not to, to I don't know how to explain it. I want to put a pot of positive spin on this. First of all, I want to rejoice that it's knocked down and nobody else is there in that pit today. But here's the rest of the story about that building. Long before I ended up in that building, I made friends with two guys and I moved in with them and they became my roommates. One of them worked there. We began to hang out and we began to be great friends. And and then the Lord grabbed his heart and he left his job there. He left living with us and he began going to church. He got his his life right with the Lord and he moved on. It was only a year or two later that the Lord began to convict him that there were people he needed to invite to church. There were people that he needed to reach out to, and I was one of those people. And so he called me up and said, would you go to church with me? And I did. 
And I stand before you today telling you this story because I walked into a sanctuary much like this and all of a sudden I saw love and I saw joy and I saw peace and I saw forgiveness and I saw hope on the faces all around the room and I remembered what I'd walked away from. Somewhere along the way I had lost the, my path and I had, I had gotten tangled up in junk but I didn't know what to do with it. And so here I was seeing these things on these people's faces and wanting it so desperately and thinking that that couldn't happen to me. And yet I still found myself going back to this place. And I walked back in there, not partaking, not enjoying, but standing there because I didn't know any other life. And I tell you this story because the Lord redeems And I'll never forget, it was a Saturday night. I was standing in the midst of hundreds of people of this horrible place. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, are you going to choose this over me? And there was that moment that I had come to the end of myself. And I'd come to the end of my sin. And I was faced with the reality that God was drawing me back to himself. And that night, I turned and walked out of that building for the very last time. And I went home and I ironed my shirt because I knew the next morning I was going to walk the aisle and recommit my life to Christ. But the more that I've told this story and the more I've thought about this, I didn't recommit my my life the next morning at church. I, I rededicated my life when I walked out and shut that door. And ironically enough, when I walked the aisle the next day and took the hand of that pastor and began to cry confessing my sins, it was my father in law and led me eventually to meet my bride. God redeems. In spite of any circumstances that we brought into this building today, He can redeem. Leah was deceitful. Laban was deceitful. Rachel was bitter against her sister. There's a whole plethora of chaos that happened in the midst of this story. But in the midst of that, God redeemed it to be the 12 tribes of Israel. My life, I knew better. I was told that I was forgiven and I lived as if I wasn't forgiven. And yet God loved me enough to pursue me into a very dark place and to call me out back into the light. We can find forgiveness. And I don't know what you've brought into this room today. I don't know what burdens there are. I don't know what sin is lying there that needs to be confessed. I don't know what relationships are not right. But I know this, that my God and Savior is able to restore it. And so this morning as we close, I'm going to invite you to pray and ask Him to reveal what it is that you need to let go of. What it is that you need to lay at His feet and to remember what we sang just a few minutes ago. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised my life up from the dead. You see, the gospel is this. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But he didn't come just to forgive us. Jesus himself said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. May we stop living half Christian lives and live it to the full today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we can't imagine the price that was paid so that we might be forgiven of our sins. And we stand in this room this morning acknowledging that you are seated on the throne. 
God, you loved us so much to send your son to redeem our sinful life and to give us a hope of a future. And God, as I I read this genealogy and all of the chaos that happened in, in, in this passage of Scripture, I'm just reminded that you're bigger than the circumstances that we're facing today. And Lord, I don't know what you want to accomplish, but I pray now that in the fullness of your Spirit that you would sweep through this room. And God, just as you reached out to me in that dark building that night and said, are you going to choose this or are you going to choose me? I pray this morning that there will be people in this room that choose you fresh today. Lord, if there are those in this room that think that they can't be forgiven, that your Spirit would draw them and they would find forgiveness that only comes through your Son, Christ. Lord, I pray that there are those in this room that have wandered off the path that might be encouraged to know that they're not alone. God, as we stand and sing, may your spirit work and may you receive glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.